Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today we're going to be looking uh, at the UK markets uh, once again and to do that we're kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to be back. So, um, Alan, we've seen no very little movement actually in markets in the last week or so. We've remained relatively range-bound, although we have seen quite a sharp movement down this morning in the FTSE 100. That's very much down to concerns over uh, tensions between the United States and China. But that's not something we're going to get into in too much detail today. That's probably one we'll discuss on another podcast in the future. Yeah. Uh, but what I do want to focus on today is how the market is being impacted by uh, the psychology of COVID-19 and how that's changing behaviours for consumers. So we have... Kingfisher today, they've reported a very sharp increase in uh, sales through June and May. In June, they saw a 25% increase in sales uh, year on year. And in May, they saw a 15% increase in sales. Now, that's very much down to people staying at home. Uh, They're spending a lot more time um, considering what they're going to be doing uh, in the space that they're spending most of their time at the moment. Uh, and a lot of the spending uh, is being filtered through into improvements there. But that does mean that other areas of the economy are suffering. We have seen, uh, of course, restaurants being opened up uh, very recently. Uh, but obviously, the, the, the numbers that are coming through there are very much down compared to what we saw before COVID-19. So, Alan, when you're sort of looking at the new uh, way that people are conducting their lives, do you think that this has a longer term implication for equity markets that isn't quite being priced in uh, as yet? Because we're seeing um, some sort of a recovery, uh, you know, people like Kingfisher that are seeing strong sales. That does indicate that, you know, there is some appetite there and confidence in the consumer. But do you think that the way the equity markets are set up and the companies that are listed there, um, they're really set to suffer going forward in terms of um, people getting back to what life was like before COVID-19? Yeah, that's a very good point, Jonathan. And that's why we're seeing this uh, this constant up and downing in the market. There's confidence and good news one day. And then obviously something weighs on it the next day and takes it back. So as you rightly said, we're very much range bound at present um but um the, how the how what the ramifications longer term will be for these companies um in the the, the way covid has so fundamentally changed the way we live and the way we do business the way we make purchases um this is something that uh, obviously the analysts are pouring over the data and trying to work out how it's going to affect us going forward but certainly, um, B and Q. I, I think uh, I think a lot of the time it's good if you're making a judgment on a particular stock, such as 
Kingfisher B and Q owner uh, go down to the store and see how they're operating and see how they're working. And certainly during lockdown, I have been down to the uh, down to the click and collect firstly for B and Q, which worked very well. And then once the store reopened, of course, you go and queue down there. And there are queues around the car park um, on many occasions, so you can go and get your hinges and brackets and whatever shelving you, you're going to put up. But you will have a wait. But people are quite prepared to do that because, of course, you're in lockdown. Um, it's a change of scene and you're getting out. So th that's one positive impact. Um, and we're seeing companies reporting uh, uh, and uh, di uh, different scenarios going forward. Um, another big reporter today, uh, of course, was Stagecoach, the uh, Britain's biggest bus and coach operator. Um, and uh, the company reported a fall in pre-tax profits to 90 91 million from 132 million previously. Revenues fell as well, 1.41 billion down from 187 billion recently. Um, earnings per share was also down, but um, uh, of course, COVID had impacted the business naturally. People couldn't travel, uh, so the bus and the, the uh, neither the buses nor the coaches were earning. That's now starting to move again, so there will be this big hit on the earnings. But it's really how how, how the um, those earnings are, impact, are impacted longer term. Um, the chief executive Matt Griffith said they'd achieved a creditable set of results in the uh, amid the crisis. But also um, the broker Atlantic Capital Markets um, has taken quite an interesting stance on the stock this morning. Uh, I mean, shares are trading at multi-year lows at around 50p. Um, and, and these are 10-year, sort of 15-year lows for the company. But what they've said um, is that whilst many take the view that a public transport company offers few attractions for investors, um, of course, the government are pressing ahead with initiatives uh, to encourage the general public to reduce carbon emissions by using green public transport, i.e. buses and trains. And of course, Stagecoach is the biggest operator in the UK. All its buses are green, um, and it has set out a framework to progress the company to become a zero emissions company. So as such, it's going to receive a lot of support from the government at national and local level. Um, the company also said this morning that it's got a very, it's got, uh, it's been pitching for a number of new contracts and uh it's uh, it's on the shortlist for a contract to run Dubai buses and also bus contracts in Sweden. But it has something like an 800 million war chest of funding available to it. So it's in a strong position financially. And, you know, probably as a contrarian trade, Atlantic capital markets are backing the shares to turn the corner, as they say, and recover to uh, one pound by the end of quarter three. Um uh, they have a speculative buy rating on the stock. And, of course, the company said also this morning that it, it plans to resume dividends at some stage. So this could be very much uh, uh, the, the dark horse, if you like, for uh, re recovery plays in the sector. And um, certainly Atlantic are back into such. So I think um, I think in answer to your question, we're seeing differing fortunes and um, differing approaches to fixing the strategy. But one thing is for sure, the government have provided a lot of financial support and will continue to do so. So I think um, I, I think it's, it, it's really your view as an investor, whether you're a bottle full or 
bottle half empty investor, uh, bottle half full or bottle half empty investor um, in your views and approaches to picking your stocks in this regard? Yes, yeah, so I'd have to agree there. I think it's very much uh, down to the individual's view at this point in time because there's yeah. very strong um, support for the economy through um, obviously the furlough scheme. That will, of course, end, but there is very much a environment of easy monetary policy, not just here in the UK, but globally. globally. Um, that's going to be set to continue. So that liquidity into the markets uh, will provide um, support for, for equities. However, there is that element of uh, of people being you know, a, a little bit apprehensive going back out into the wider economy. So you do see that disconnect between asset prices and what's happening in the economy. And I do think that's going to be something that has to merge again at some point. It's yeah. going to be whether we see the underlying economy um, snap back up towards asset prices, uh, because if you're looking at valuations at the moment, they are very much higher um, on, on a historical basis, given the earnings that companies have seen over the last three months. Uh, or we're going to see those asset prices come down. And that's going to be uh, you know, the, the big story for the second half of 2020 and, and a story that we'll no doubt uh, cover in great detail as that plays out. So we, we obviously touched on sort of companies there with Stagecoach, which have suffered greatly uh, during COVID-19. But we, I want to move on to one, Alan, that we've discussed previously on the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Now, this is one uh, to set the scene. It's a company, if you look back to 2019, it produced a EBITDA increase of 11%, and that was based on a uh, revenue increase of 7%. Now, it's the company uh, Venture Life. Uh, it is one that we have discussed uh, in, in some detail in the past, but we had some results this week, Alan, and they've seen a very sharp increase not only in the share price, but uh, you know, very sharp uh, increase in their underlying sales. What does that look like, and what's driving that? Well, uh, Venture Life have had a phenomenal year, and uh, probably all the more so because um, a, a lot of investors, I think, uh, um, certainly uh, earlier earlier in the year, uh, read that. Of course, the group has a manufacturing and distribution facility in northern Italy. And I think, you know, probably rightly um, or uh, believed or assumed that um, the the operations would be badly hit as a result of it. Um, but of course, uh, that's not the case. So just to give you a bit of background to start with Venture Life, to recap from our, our previous chat, Jonathan, um, uh, Venture Life Epicode VLG, they're, they're a self-care company in that they develop, manufacture and distribute products for the self-care, the self-care market. Um, now the the company uh, have forecasted really strong growth this year, and the shares basically bombed to twenty two p at mid March as the uh, ramifications of the crisis uh, became apparent. But also uh, the fact that um, uh, investors were realizing that venture life venture life distribution and manufacturing facility were in northern Italy. Um, then the company started to update on trading. And um, in the trading update put out on Monday just really shows how 
how the company has taken full advantage of the of of, of its uh, uh, distribution facilities and has really really blazed a trail. Um, just I'm going to recap on some of the key points on this. So the company increased revenues by eighty percent um, over the over the period to to nine and a half million. So this is um, sorry sixteen point nine million up from nine and a half million previously. Um, 65% of that was from organic growth and 15% came from the group acquisitions. And at the start of the year, the company uh, completed the acquisition of Dutch-based PharmaSource and its revenues already have increased 43% compared to the first half of 2019. Um, during the period, it also completed eight new partnership agreements, including uh, uh, the, what's very much the uh, company's flagship agreement at present, which is a 15-year agreement with a Chinese partner that could be worth up to 168 million uh, uh, sterling over the period. And of course, this is a company currently trading with uh, with a market cap um, of, of just over 70 million. So so that's obviously going to sort of um, be a significant part of the revenue growth drivers going forward. Um, the company has also developed eight new uh, products for its uh, Disim Plus hand sanitizer brand and Asda in the UK have ordered 1 million units but um, uh, VentureLife also has distribution agreements with Tesco's, Morrison's Boots, um, Amazon, um, Alliance Pharma has a, um, a manufacturing agreement uh, with Alliance Pharma as the second manufacturer of its uh, Kilo Coat products um, and also since the year since the period end um, VentureLife have also signed distribution agreements in Spain uh, for its Proctoese, uh, uh brand, and also in Israel for its uh, its fungal nail products, but um, this is just really part of the story. Um, Jerry Randall, um, I, I actually interviewed uh, Jerry Randall, CEO, on Monday, and uh, there is, uh, if you look on on our on the brand. UK Twitter feed, you'll see the interview there that, that I did with them. And Jerry sort of discusses the 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 fact that um, during the time the company have uh, have have uh, grown revenues uh, very strongly, that they also have um, a that they also are seeking acquisitions actively, and they, they do indeed expect to to sign new acquisitions uh, before before the end of the year, which is clearly very encouraging. Um, also, the fact that uh, this isn't just a flash in the pan either. This is very much um, it, it's very much ongoing growth for the for the group, um, and uh, the the company also appointed a new broker N Plus One Singer, which has in, improved the liquidity for shareholders and liquidity, of course, in the markets. Just to go back to its manufacturing facility in Italy, they've invested into that ongoing throughout the crisis. And um, Jerry said in the interview, they now have a, an additional capacity to increase the capacity by 50% from current levels. So clearly, if the company continues to win new orders, they, they have the facility there that uh, they, can, they can just plug it straight into the uh, additional distribution without any additional investment. So again, eventually life in a very, very strong growth phase, trading at year highs at the moment, but with the, with the contracts it already has, um, I think we're going to see this uh, company continue to grow and grow and deliver ongoing value for shareholders. Okay, so so with um, you know investors might be looking at this and it's, it's had a very very sharp increase uh, recently. I mean, indeed, this year it's gone from 
uh, around the, the 20 pence mark. I know it was something we started to speak uh, about from in sort of April and, and May, but we're now trading up at 85p. Is How much value do you think is left for investors in this? Or, or do you think it's a case that we may need to see some form of a correction before the valuation starts a little bit more set to look a little bit more sensible for investors that are sort of looking for a three to five year hold? Well, um, what Jerry Jerry Randall said was that the company is generating cash. It's got it's so it has a cash war chest, if you like, to make these acquisitions. So um, so it has it has no debt. It has no debt. It has a debt facility that it can use, but right now it has no debt. So so really, um, the company can continue to grow and grow and use its own cash to invest into acquisitions which obviously further ramp up the ramp up the uh, the uh, distri- the uh, sales and and distribution capability of of the group um it's already got these key contracts in place and um the more products it brings into its um its its product portfolio the 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 greater the sales are, are going to be and i mean if, if we look back um if we, if we look back to the share price a few years ago i think back in 2017 we hit uh, roughly uh, i think 83p was the the uh, the high uh, between 2017 and 2018 so um and that's obviously back then it was based on expectations of sales rather than actual sales now we've come back to a point where we have actual sales so um the sales of course are far greater than they were back then so i do believe there is uh, certainly scope and um and room for a re-rating even from this point and further growth. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Alan. That's, uh, that, that summarises that very nicely. So an interesting stock, and I'm sure one that we will uh, be re- recapping on again in the future, Alan, that one. So um, we're going to finish off now with a commodities company. Again, it's uh, it's one uh, towards the the lower end in terms of market capitalization of, of companies that are listed in London. Uh, it's very much in the exploration and development field, and it has a very diverse range of minerals uh, that it is exploring for, and that is Power Metal Resources, Alan. Uh, Again, a very solid news flow uh, from this company this year, and that's been updated this week. What does that look like currently? Okay, so I've spoken about um, uh, a number of resource companies here in the past, and what I like about Power Metal Resources is that, uh, in a similar way to Cadence Minerals, it has this spread of mining investments. Um, But then also, like ECR Minerals, it has uh, a big investment in what is currently a big boom area for Gold exploration, which is the the uh, the Victoria region in Australia. So, um, I, firstly, I'm going to summarise the the range of projects the company has. So, the the key the key, the key project for the group at at present is the Red Rock Red Rock Australasia, which is a um, it's a 49% 51% owned joint venture with Red Rock Resources. Now, on the board of Power Metal Resources, you have Paul Johnson, the CEO. Andrew Bell, who's also CEO, um, and he's he, he's uh, in charge of Red Rock Resources. You have Ian McPherson, who's um, a well known well known in the, in, in the mining field, and a gentleman called Scott Brown. But um, on to the Australia project. Um, so the company has eleven license applications in the Victoria region, um, uh, around the Ballarat area, and of course, as we know through 
ECR Minerals. Um, we have the, the Costafield mine nearby. Um, further northeast, we have the Fosterville gold mine. These are all producing gold mines. And the, the, the region and area is rich rich with, uh, with, 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 gold, um, with gold explorations and also exploration projects currently underway. And, of course, we talked about ECR Minerals, Kresik and Bayliston projects in that regard, which are, which are making real progress. Um, but um, there's a map uh, on some of the tweets that have been put out for Power Metal Resources, which shows the license areas in relation to the other mines. And Red Rock, Australasia, has a big spread of, um, of licensed territory, um, nearly, uh, well, uh, over 1,800 square kilometres in the Ballarat area. All of these areas have extensive evidence of gold mineralizations in the area. So um, currently the company are working towards developing um, developing uh, further exploration and uh, assessment of these licenses. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, once they get further down the road with these, like such as, uh, they get to a point such as where ECR are now with the Bayliston and the Kresic licenses, we can expect further progress. The company is currently, uh, currently worth just um, 5 million. So, um, you know, a very lowly valuation for that alone. But the great thing about Power Metal is it has it has a raft of other um, uh, a raft of other projects too. It has a conditional uh, agreement to acquire fifty one percent of the Ditau Camp project in Botswana, which is um, uh, with uh, and that's from Kavango Resources, um, and that's a rare earth project where neodymium and presidium uh, um, are, are are thought to be in abundance below the surface. Also in Botswana, it has. A, and a stake in Kalahari Key Minerals, which owns the Malopo Farms project, which is a nickel, uh, copper, and platinum group metals project, um, has a, a cobalt project in Cameroon, um, and owns a seventy percent interest in the Republic, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, in the Kasinska, Kasinska copper and cobalt project, um, has a, a stake in the um, Haneti nickel and lithium project in Tanzania. Um, but key today, and literally about an hour ago, the company made this announcement that it had uh, signed an agreement, um, agreed terms to acquire um, an option to earn into the Alamo Gold Project in Western Arizona and the USA. And this is key for the company. Um, Paul Johnson, the CEO, said it's a major step forward for Power Metals um, as it expands the company into its North American gold interests. Um, now, the uh, project is currently owned by Frisco Gold Corp. Um, members of that company have set up um, uh, the, what they call the North America Gold Advisory Committee, which is going to um, basically provide assistance and help to, as Paul, as as Power Metal Projects develops its uh, its um, uh, projects in the USA. So this is a really exciting juncture for Power Metals. Shares popped up an hour ago on, on, on the news of this. But um, as I say, the, the, the market cap, even with this in the bag, is still just 5.8 million. So I think with that spread of projects um, on the go, um, obviously the, the, key, the key one still at the moment um, is the Australia project, the, the JV with Red Rock Resources. But um, with, this key, with this amount of projects on the go, I think Power, Power Metals is going to have a very exciting year. And I think is going to, itself going to be subject to a major re-rate before too long as these projects uh, uh, progress.
So what, what could be the catalyst that investors are looking for uh, on this? Because there's so many different projects that are going on and you know, there has been a steady stream of news that's been coming out uh, this year on the various different ones that are going uh, that are going on for them. But what should investors be looking for uh, to really get these shares going? I mean, they've been trading in a range um, up until very recently, and then they popped out of that range above the, the 0.6 of a penny level, now trading uh, up, well above a penny. To get this sort of going back up to levels that the, the share was trading at, um, you know, sort of pre-2019, what, what um, sort of catalysts are people going to be looking for from these projects? Um, well, the key catalyst, well, in my opinion, um, and I think this is, I mean, obviously behind all this, underlying all this, we have the the ever-present uh, uh, rising gold price. Um, so, of course, uh, some projects that might hitherto have been looked un- uneconomical, these projects are being revisited and looked at again. Um, but um, the Victoria project, um, with modern mining techniques and, and uh, survey techniques, um, Victoria is rich in gold. It's it's always been the case, and indeed there are documents and, um, in, in fact, uh, the, the, there are stories in newspapers going back, um, I think, up to a hundred years of people literally travelling to Victoria and just getting out there with the old, with with the pan and sitting in the river and just um, siphoning out so or, or, or filtering out some particles of gold. Um, so the area is rich in that. We know that. Um, and if we look at uh, catalysts for other similar companies, I'm bringing up ECR Minerals again. Of course, ECR um, has developed and surveyed Kresik. Uh, we have this nuggety gold mineralization, which the company has in abundance and uh, similar, similar results from Baderston. And on the back of that, they have signed uh, or are in the process of talking with uh, partners in the region to... Um, to, to form a joint venture or a farming agreement. Now, um, in ECR's case, of course, we know Newmont Mining has a license application adjacent to the Bayliston project. So, um, so common sense would dictate that any joint venture is going to take place with a company that's already based in the region. Of course, Newmont are an Australian company. Um, but there are other major uh, players in the area too. Um, and of course, uh, uh, we had Fosterville South uh, with its licenses. The share price of Fosterville went through the roof. So I think um, I think uh, once these negotiations start, once uh, power, once the uh, Red Rock Australia, Australasia joint venture starts talking with the major players in the region, then we could well see um, developments such as uh, um, such as as has already taken place with ECR Minerals. So those, in my opinion, will be the the key catalysts. So really, um, you've got a company that's operating in that region, a region that's renowned, and there are exploration activities producing results at present. So I think getting into the stock at this level, um, any news like that is going to have a significant impact on the share price, as we've already seen with uh, ECR Minerals. Definitely one to watch, and I'm sure one that we will discuss again on the podcast, uh, Alan. Indeed. So, yeah, yeah. Just as uh, just as a recap, um, companies we discussed today were Venture Life Group that trains under the ticker of VLG, and um, just finishing off there with Power Metal Resources that trades on the ticker of POW. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Jonathan. A pleasure.
So as a reminder, the podcast is available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app, the Amazon Alexa, uh, Apple iTunes, and of course, on our website. Um, so do tune in and please subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much.